Welcome to episode 182 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Okay, welcome back to another episode. I'm continuing uh, sharing things that I'm thankful for this month. And this week, what I've been thinking about is just the relationships that I've been able to develop over telepractice. I know that's something that people think that they'll miss when doing telepractice, but I've had, um, you know, aides that I still text all the time to see how they are or have met them in person when they've gone mm -hmm. through town. I went to one of my schools and showed them my new baby when I was heading through town and um, or had kids ask, like, has Miss Kim had her baby yet when I was pregnant and things like that. So I just, I really appreciate the opportunity to like really connect with people that aren't just right around me and have my same views and everything like that and just really learn from people across the country and across the world sometimes and mm -hmm. just the opportunities that telepractice has given me for that. Yeah, I agree. I think it, I think telepractice, as you well know, it kind of changed my career. Yeah. Yeah. You because know, I hadn't done it before Utah State. And then right. since then, it's, you know, been a part of what I do. So yep. it's been, uh, been a great ride to see how it's evolved over the years. And, uh, mm -hmm. and I agree. I think it's, um, it's opened many doors and allowed lots of different, uh, types of relationships. And, and I, I don't think it, for me, I haven't found that, that it, uh, impairs or causes any issues with forming really great rapport and right. great friendships with with families that you may be serving or whatever um I, you know i could walk into the door with some of those families i worked with back in utah and it would probably be just like yesterday you know in that yep. sense um, yep and so i, I i've never found that you know some people yeah. say it's not as good or i, I have i struggle with that I've never had that issue. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, it can be hard just to not feel that closeness and, um, but I, a physical closeness with people, but I think, yeah, the, the benefits of it far outweigh the kind of difficulties that can come up. Yeah, I agree. So today we have who? Who do we have? We have Sandra Hancock, and she is oh. at UNC and um, is a great, we, we both know her personally. She was one of my clinical supervisors um, when I had an internship mm -hmm. there, and she has been doing telepractice, working with kids with hearing loss, and we're excited to hear from her. Yeah, and I should just mention UNC, UNC Chapel Hill. So Chapel North Hill, Carolina. that is, this is, that is correct, <laughs> that one. <laughs> Not Northern Colorado. Yes. <laughs> comes up. So, yeah, it'd be good to hear from Sandra. We want to congratulate Presence for reaching the incredible milestone of 6 million remote evaluations and teletherapy sessions. Presence is a pioneer in special education and mental health teletherapy, and they're making a real impact in solving the national shortage of school clinicians with nearly 10,000 pre-K to 12th grade schools supported across the nation. At Presence, they're on a mission to empower schools and clinicians by breaking down the traditional barriers to success through their elevated approach to teletherapy. As a trusted partner and advocate for clinicians since 2009, Presence offers its large community of teletherapy providers access to an award-winning platform with assessment and therapy materials, continuing education, and networking opportunities to help them succeed. Through ongoing clinically-led resources and support, Presence is meeting the needs and creating career opportunities for clinicians today, wherever they are. Presence is teletherapy elevated. Learn more at Presence.com. Okay, we want to welcome Sandra to the podcast. And Sandra was my one of my clinical supervisors when I had an internship at UNC. So I'm surrounded by two former <laughs> supervisors. <laughs> and this would probably be feel like a nightmare in grad school, but you guys were both great. And so it doesn't it doesn't feel like a recurring nightmare right now. So welcome, Sandra. <laughs> 
Thank what an you. introduction. You're not a nightmare. <laughs> You're not nightmare. a nightmare. <laughs> Welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> you guys know what you mean and what I mean. You were in grad school at one point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, Sandra, tell us some of your background and what um, led you to become a speech language pathologist. Well, I have been a practicing speech pathologist since 1995. Don't make me do that math in my head, about 24 Mm -hmm. years or so. Um, I was graduating from undergrad right around the time they made a master's degree requirement. So I uh, worked in the public schools for a couple of years before I went on to grad school. And um, I kind of got into speech pathology by accident. I didn't even know what it was, but I was a junior in college and I had changed my major a bunch of times and I still had no idea what I wanted to do. But your junior year, you have to declare something and, you know, time was ticking. So thankfully, my undergrad school, a small state school in upstate New York, SUNY Cortland, had a really great program that was closely tied to uh, Syracuse University. Mm-hmm. And someone suggested it to me and I took a few introductory courses and fell in love with it. So thankfully, I got lucky. Um, so I worked in the schools for a couple of years and um, it was really hard to get into graduate school because the programs were all just flooded since it was now a requirement. Mm-hmm. and. Um, I got taken off the wait list at San Francisco State two weeks or three weeks before classes started, and I dropped everything and gave up my place at Syracuse and headed out west. Um, wow. And I I didn't even know that I, I didn't even know about auditory verbal therapy or anything about that population until my very last semester of graduate school, kind of got into it accidentally again. I had my last clinical placement, my final semester, and I ended up at uh, the Wine Garden Children's Center for Mm -hmm. my placement and just opened up a whole new world. I thought I was, you know, going to specialize in reading and literacy, and I really liked working with adults and aphasia and all of that. And I had five weeks at Wine Garden, and that changed my life, and I got sucked into that world. And Worked there for several years before moving to North Carolina, and I have been at the Children's Cochlear Implant Center at UNC for 19 years. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. It's a place that, and I have coworkers that have been there just as long or longer. It's one of those places that people don't leave. (laughs) We have a great team. Which is rare in speech language Mm -hmm. pathology. Like I have been at my um, early intervention program for three years and I was like the most senior SLP there by the end of my (laughs) last. (laughs) Yeah, we have some, we have some long timers there, but I just think, you know, it speaks to that program and it's, it was kind of in its infancy when I started there. And I just, I feel like we've kind of been like the little engine that could, I mean, we, we just keep chugging along and doing new things and we had to chase funding for so many years, but that forced us to kind of, you know, grants and funding come for new things. They want us, you know, they want to fund new ideas and new things. So that kind of kept us evolving and on the cutting edge. Plus we have, um, you know, we just have a really strong team full of really smart people and we have a lot of great research going on. So I've been there 19 years, but I feel like my job has drastically changed over and over again yeah. that whole time I've been there. <laughs> what I'm doing now is not at all what I was doing when I started there and it has changed over and over and over again. So that's nice. <laughs> that is nice. And, and I want to go back just for a moment to Wine Garden. And uh, you were there with Kathy Sessman as director. Yes. Yes. And Kathy uh, was a good friend. She was my boss uh, as as the president of AG Bell when I was at AG Bell. Yes, I was there when mm. she became president of AG Bell. 
Yeah, she was so, amazing. I feel very fortunate to have worked with her and mm-hmm. learned from her, and had a great team there too. Mm-hmm. She's she's one of those people. When she walked in the room, everyone, you know, sort of had to look at her, had to migrate to her, wanted to talk to her. I mean, she just, yeah, she just commanded a yeah. room. So she was, but she very was approachable on a oh, personal yeah. Yeah. level, and yeah, yeah. yeah. Very much so. So yes, and then UNC. So it's so. What's it like moving from one coast to the net to the other coast? <laughs> it was quite a transition. <laughs> <laughs> I I loved it out there. I loved the West Coast, but um, and I was living in San Francisco and commuting to Wine Garden, which was about a forty-five minute commute out of the city. Right. Um, it was just too expensive, you know, yeah. I was yeah. not gonna, my husband and I were not married yet. We were living together at the time and he does construction. I was a speech pathologist. We just were never going to make the salaries to live comfortably out there. And this is also kind of an accident as well. My whole career has been just kind of these doors opening and things happening by accident. Um, Synchronicities. Decided- Synchronicities. <laughs> So the universe is putting these synchronicities in place for you. And I listen to the universe and take advantage of the doors that open. Um, We had decided we were going to move and we just kind of thought, well, where are we going to go after San Francisco? Where do we want to go? And he said, your job should dictate because I can do what I do anywhere. So we were thinking and I got a flyer in the mail from castle it was castle back yeah. then i remember mm-hmm. it was on a hot pink piece of paper they were hiring slps so it was back when carolyn brown was mm-hmm. running the program and beth whitfield was running the preschool mm-hmm. and i got the pink piece of paper in the mail and i thought oh well i i wouldn't mind going back to the north carolina area i had lived in wilmington for a little while and <laughs> so i called talked to Beth Whitfield on the phone. They flew me out for a couple of days to interview and spend a couple of days in the preschool. And that's, that that's how I made it back to this coast. And yeah, but it was, it was quite a transition and, you know, they had the preschool going, but it was much smaller scale than wine garden, obviously. Right. Um, but I settled in and stuck with it and, I had great people to work with and help me settle in. And um, I felt like I got some really, really great support and training through, um, you know, just being mentored by Beth and Catherine was still in the area and went through Mm -hmm. Summer Institute and really just learned a lot very quickly from all of that support with that team. Well, I, I think it's probably the best in the country, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I would I, agree. I think uh, we do and, really great work and mm-hmm. are flexible I, and keep evolving. Exactly. Exactly. I, I've, I've had the opportunity to visit lots of implant programs and see what they have. And there are some really wonderful ones out there who are doing great work. But I think uh, what you guys have there is something very, very special. We are unique. (laughs) Very unique. But Sandra, I haven't heard, listening to you, I haven't heard any Southern dialect yet. (laughs) (laughs) No, in fact, I still hear from people that um, my upstate New York accent comes out sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> well, and I'm you just, might yeah. hear me refer to you as you guys. You guys, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm just Instead the opposite. Y'all. Yeah, because because my, you know, after some wine, my my wife Maria tells me that my southern accent comes out. So <laughs> I'm just the opposite. So so let's talk about. Um, how telepractice has evolved at UNC and what you guys are doing there. 
So we started through a grant. Um, we got a grant from the North Carolina Hurricanes. Um, I think it was 2011. And we started, um, I can't remember how many kids we started with initially, but in the very beginning, because we are, um, we serve the whole state and kind of parts of Virginia and some from South Carolina. Um, we have families who travel very, very far to get to our clinic and to come occasionally for audiology is one thing, but to come regularly for therapy is just not an option for many of our patient families. So we thought this was going to be like the answer to that for so many people. We thought we were going to be able to reach everybody that couldn't make it to the clinic for therapy, which years later we realized that, you know, there's still all of the social barriers and life hardships that don't allow that to happen. But we are able to reach a lot more who can't travel to the clinic. And when we started, actually, um, we were trying to reach some out of state as well. And we were getting our license. Like I got my license of Virginia to serve a cup, uh, at least one family that was there. Somebody else was getting one for South Carolina. Um, and we were at the beginning, uh, you know, based on the funding we got, there was kind of a study. Um, so we were tracking data for these kids and we were doing home visits. I can't remember how often quarterly, maybe. So we were driving out to do home visits for the families that we were reaching through um, teletherapy. And it was interesting because, you know, you've got little kids and they don't always cooperate and you're trying to coach parents. And what I found, at least with my family in Virginia, was, oh, oh my God, I can't wait to go do the home visit. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get it nailed when we go, when I get to do it live. <laughs> and what I found the first couple of home visits was it was no different in the home than it was through the computer. <laughs> the child had the same behavior with me that she did with mom. And so that was interesting. That's, and, that's a rare opportunity to be able to compare the two. Right? Yeah, it was what it, it was with the same student and everything it at yes. the home versus online and have it be the same. <laughs> it was definitely um, it, it put me in my place. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will admit I was not a fan. I didn't like the idea of it. I was like, this is communication. I'm old school. I went through <laughs> undergrad and grad school with no internet, no email, anything. I was like, I did not get into speech therapy to talk through a computer. Mm -hmm. uh. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I remember people saying those things. <laughs> but, you know, I knew we had to do it. And I was trying to be open-minded because, you know, I knew the need to be able to reach some of these families that were just underserved out in the rural areas and too far away from us and didn't have people trained in how to do listening and spoken language for kids with hearing loss near where they live. So I will say, and I will never forget the families who um, kind of sold me on it. There were two families early on maybe a year or two into us doing it, that it worked so well. They made me believers in it. Mm -hmm. And they were not easy kids. They were, mm -hmm. you know, one of them had CMV and a bunch of other issues going on. One of them was in foster care, had been um, born addicted to drugs. So he had a lot going on, but we, they made a lot of progress. I would say we had great, families that had the buy-in and the consistency and I saw it really work and made me believers of it. So, and I'm sure both of you know that it works better with some than with others. Yeah, and right. we've all had the families that it just doesn't work for, but you have that with the live therapy too. Mm -hmm. Sure. Exactly. And, um, what have you 
do you have some specific materials you like or resources that you've run across for these families? I don't. Um, I think with our specialty, um, listening and spoken language, because the whole philosophy behind that type of therapy is the parent training, the parent mm-hmm. coaching. Right. I'm really focused on that. I don't necessarily even want the child to attend to the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we even, I have, have had families that will put a little post-it note over their picture because the child will be so distracted and trying to make silly faces or they get shy and clam up. And so I've had some families that put a little post-it note over their picture on the screen. So the child forgets that they're even on the computer. So for the type of teletherapy that we're doing, I know with some of the older kids, you know, we might put some stuff up on the screen, but generally I'm just, you know, I email the families the day before what toys or materials to Mm -hmm. have so that I can coach them in interacting with their child and doing play-based activities with their child, not necessarily attending to me on the screen. Do you have sometimes of the play activities? Do you have go-tos for those? A lot of times they're the same things that I would do live in the clinic. Um, Sometimes I will send the families um, like coloring pages or sometimes I will put pictures up on the screen for the child to look at, but they're usually just things that I've created, taking images from Mm -hmm. Google, Google images onto a word document, um, depending on what it is to, I'm trying to think of examples now. Um, like I, I've worked on he and she, where I have a set of pictures on the screen where there's like a boy riding a bike and a girl riding a bike, right. a boy eating pizza and a girl eating pizza. And I'll have them, you know, show me she is riding a bike. Show me he is eating things like that. But yeah, nothing's standard. Oh, I meant to warn you ahead of time. Please excuse dogs barking. <laughs> <laughs> or if you can hear children yelling to one another. <laughs> it's dinner time at my house and I have two dogs that if they hear, you know, neighbors or voices <laughs> outside or something, they can just at the drop of a hat start barking. Might hear somebody at the door now. The dogs are going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can cut all that out. We're good. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, and we have I have two dogs here too, so I'm I'm surprised they're not okay. barking. Um, I just have three. So children. again, <laughs> I am <laughs> I am kind of old school. And when parents ask me for apps and websites, I always tell them, I don't want you to do that. <laughs> I want you oh, to good. play. I want you to. So um, I think I that's a good with- message, too, though, mm-hmm. that you don't have to um, use, you know, all of the bells and whistles of the computer to do effective sessions, even in telepractice. Right. Yeah, I'm more focused on teaching these parents to play and talk to their Mm -hmm. kids and read to them and sing to them. So Mm -hmm. I try to keep the focus not on the screen. I mean, I love it when they love seeing me and want to say hi and chat with me, but. Right. Do you feel like that parent coaching and connecting with the parents that that's been any different or harder over a screen? For me personally, I struggle with it a little bit more than in a live session. I just think, you know, it's, it's easier to model something first when they're in the room with you. It's easier just in general with humans to connect better in their presence versus through the computer. But, you know, I've gotten used to it. And I think that people in general are used to interacting through um, the computer more so these days, especially newer generation of parents. But what I will say, not that it's easier, it's definitely, um, it forces you to have the parent do it, right? to coach the parent through it, because you can't jump in and take over the activity. It really forces you to coach the parent in it. And I have, I've had, I had to get creative of how to model something ahead of time, either mm-hmm. with, you know, a teddy bear or a baby doll or something. Um, it always helps to have a graduate student with you <laughs> to show <laughs> them, this is what I want you to do. <laughs> I was uh, 
just talking to another uh, Lissell certified person this morning uh, about something else, but in a roundabout way, we can't, we got back to talking about parent coaching because something that she's doing and uh, she thinks, and I, and I kind of agree with this to a, uh, to a degree um, that, she kind of prefers telepractice for the parent coaching because of that very reason that it does make you, forces you to really think through how you're going to coach the parent and every activity uh, all along. So she's, and, and I've heard other people say this too, that they really prefer for that birth to three to do everything through telepractice. And I, and I yeah, think it's true. I think some of the little people, uh, before doing telepractice, once they transitioned and started doing it, I think they realized how little coaching they were doing before. <laughs> and they had to really raise their game a little bit to, to really meet this new, you know, new, new way of delivering services and not being able to rescue the parent. And yeah, I think yep. a lot of, I think it was eye-opening for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I think sometimes when we're modeling, we think that we're coaching and they're two different things. And it's, mm-hmm. but it's so much easier to have those lines blurred when you're in person. Absolutely. And I will admit, I'm greedy. When I'm in there in the session with them, <laughs> I like to do it too. Sure. <laughs> sometimes I'll forget to turn it over and let the parent do it or something. Yeah. And I do. I jump in and rescue when I feel like, oh, I can get this. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I wouldn't say it's easier. I would say it's <laughs> harder, but it definitely, it might be better for the parent mm-hmm. <laughs> or the parent might learn more. Right. There are some, you know, I think it depends on what kind of learner there are. There are definitely mm-hmm. adults who learn through watching a lot first, um, mm-hmm. for sure. But yeah, we have to continue to grow and learn new yep. things. Yep. What do you think comes next? Oh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I have ideas, but uh, what do you think comes next? I don't know. I'm just, I don't know. Something, though, there's always the big thing coming next. I think. Ah, Yeah. What do you think is coming next? (laughs) I like surprises, though. I think. uh, uh, Oh, I do know one thing that's coming next. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> but I want to hear what you think is coming next. Well, we I, are I, about to launch a mobile clinic early next year. That's nice. Yes. that's I, I heard about that. I think uh, Lillian mentioned that to me. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. exciting. Um, but I think with telepractice, I think we're going to see more AI integrating in oh. to do language sampling sure. and other things that we can do while we're, while, while we're doing the session. It's sort of compiling all this information for us i think there's even you know the even virtual reality being a part of you know a metaverse kind of thing right where you right. can go into a different setting with your child and interact uh, so i think those are the kinds of things that we're going to see in the next five years or so i bet you're right see that's the kind of thing that um <laughs> I just I don't know that much about and like I said I'm old school I like to play with puzzles and blocks and books so I don't <laughs> think about that stuff as much but mm-hmm. I you're right that is that's the new horizon I'm sure yeah yeah so what does your mobile clinic look like that sounds exciting and interesting some on the planning committee know those who are participating and designing it and picking out all the things, but there's going to be a sound booth. There's Mm going to be an area to do ABRs. There's going to be, um, I can't remember how many seats, but it'll be, I mean, it's going to be like a, I I would compare it to, I think like a a blood mobile bus. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to be that type of bus. And like I said, sound booth, a place for ABRs. Um, there'll be some pull down tables to have some flexibility as far as space. Um, I think there will be a fridge on it. 
think the plan is to use the restrooms at wherever we go to park the mobile unit to see patients. <laughs> so I don't think there's a restroom on the mobile <laughs> clinic. I've, I've been in many, working in early intervention, I went to many <laughs> bathrooms along the Yes, way. I'm sure. There was one that I used, I, this is when I was pregnant, I used the same bathroom three times in one day because <laughs> I was all around it. I was like, they're going to think that I like live here and my toilet's broken or something. <laughs> oh, and I did think of another thing to go back to mm -hmm. what you were talking about, Todd. Um, mm -hmm. I think there's still a lot of progress to be made in internet connections. Oh, mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. So I think that's something that we're going to start to see, too. I mean, in the rural areas, we still have issues with connectivity, trying mm -hmm. to do telehealth. So, right. I mean, that's so, just that's got to improve. I know. And it's so hard because it's like it's like the same barrier. Those that have a hard time getting there physically also have bad Internet because they're in the right. middle of nowhere. So yeah. it's yeah, I mean, that makes it really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Here in uh, sort of, I'm in Northeast uh, Ohio near Cleveland, but this whole Eastern side of Ohio that borders Pennsylvania and goes down to uh, West Virginia and Appalachia. If we have families down in that area that come up to our implant program, it's sometimes really hard. Um, I mean, I, so I know exactly what you're dealing with it's you know we we think that in the united states we'd all have great access to right. broadband but we don't yeah. um, right and uh i did read something today that there was a new initiative about rural broadband connections and new new funding from uh the biden administration to try to you know solve some of these problems which i think is i've been hearing about that too so hopefully, yeah, hopefully uh, yeah. in the next uh, couple of years, we'll have some better connectivity. But this yeah. this idea of the of the mobile unit, it's kind of like back to the future because it used to be. I know, right? You know, back in the day, people were doing that a lot and you don't yeah. really hear about it as much as, as we used to. Yeah, it's interesting because I think someone else on our team has said that, like, it feels like we're going back in time a little bit, mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the bookmobile days. That's right. <laughs> I remember those days. I, I looked like once a month, they come out where I lived, out in the country, yeah. South Carolina. I was like, I can get a new book now. Uh, yeah, but, you know, I think so many of those rural areas, there's hospitals have closed and That's right. health facilities have closed. And there's just, there's no other option. People don't have access out yeah. there so much yeah. of the time yeah it's uh it's a difficult thing in those areas it really is and you hear about these different programs where they go in and they take over you know some empty building and they have dental and they have you know physicals and they do all these things in these rural areas but it's like a one-stop shop right. medical you know, intervention. Um, and you think this is America. We should, you know, everyone should have access to these things, Yeah. but we, and I think those of us who, who have access, uh, don't always think about that. And some of these areas, yeah. you know, are, you know, scarce, uh, not really populated, scarcely scarce populations and trying to, uh, get healthcare basic needs met is is really a challenge. Yeah, I yeah. know an audiology program here that I think once a month or every, once every couple of months they go out to one of the places and have a hotel for the day that they see yeah. <laughs> clients come into the hotel room and they do hearing tests and things like that because it's the only way to get out in Vernal, Utah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. People go to Vernal and don't come back. That's, the, that's the <laughs> what happened to my sister. I still haven't see? seen her. They still. She has a missing sister in Vernal, Utah. Uh oh. Well, Sandra, I think it is time for our moment of Zen. Oh, good. Do you know what our moment of Zen is? I don't. Okay. But I like the sound of it. Okay, good, good. 
So we have uh, three different lists of questions, 10 okay. questions each, lists A, B, and C, and we'll ask you one list. So you can choose list A, B, or C. Oh, gosh. <laughs> How about B? B. Hmm. Okay. All right. First question, would you describe yourself as an introvert or an extrovert? Oh, that is a tough one. Um, I am an extrovert with people I know really well. Um, I wouldn't say I'm an introvert, but I think... I can be misperceived as an introvert because I'm told I am a really good listener. So I listen intently, which I think can sometimes be misperceived as being an introvert because I'm listening and not talking or expressing. Very good. I definitely have extrovert tendencies. You, you're not the first to kind of answer that way. <laughs> <laughs> kind of down the middle, uh, depending on what was going on. Yeah. Um, so, yes. So I think we all have a little bit of both. Um, next question is, what's the best compliment you've received? Mm, um, well, I don't know if it's, the best, but it's fresh in my mind. Um, I have a couple of recent experiences. Usually the compliments that I receive that I feel like are really the best compliments have to do with the way I've impacted somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And I was in a session this morning with a little two-year-old whose grandmother brings her to speech therapy and mm. she has a bunch of grandkids and she just, I have won her over. She just thinks I am the bee's knees and she loves mm. me. And she told me today that I have done more for her granddaughter than any of the other people that they have met or have, has been involved in their, her care. And she has gone through speech therapy with, this is her third grandchild now that she has gone to speech therapy with all her kids work and she's got all these grandkids and she has the ability to help out. So she has taken two grandsons to speech therapy. And now this little girl that I work with, and she told me I am by far the best speech therapist she has mm -hmm. ever worked with. <laughs> That's awesome. That's really Grandma great. knows. Grandma knows best. Oh, yes. uh -huh. <laughs> and I love it coming from her because she reminds me of my mom a lot. So it was kind of like getting a compliment from my mom. Awesome. Uh, that's sweet. What's your greatest fear? AI. <laughs> <laughs> It's AI is your friend. Make, it'll make your life it easier. Be. I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> People <laughs> use it for good. Um, yeah. But all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> right. I, I could, I could agree with that. I, I really do. I mean, if you, if you really truthfully want to know my biggest fear, it is, um, technology and social media and what what impact it's going to have on our kids who have grown right. up with it this is the first generation of kids who have grown up with that and as a an expert in child development i am terrified at how much um play and your typical developmental activities have not been addressed throughout mm -hmm. these kids lives and you know i out in the community you know you're out at dinner and you see these young families and the kids are all on ipads to keep them entertained and calm mm -hmm. and quiet while they're out in public i go through the grocery store and mm -hmm. i see kids in shopping carts glued to the parent's phone or an ipad so they're not yeah. observing human behavior. They're not watching people interact. They're not engaging with anyone who like smiles or tries to mm -hmm. engage them. So um, 
I think it can be used for good. I think there's a lot of good to come of it, but I just, I'm, I'm terrified that it's not always used responsibly. And I have a lot of fears of these kids that are growing up with it nonstop. And it's not just the kids looking at screens, but it's parents always looking at their screens and not engaging with their child. Yeah. I was going to say that has kind of changed. Um, I think the whole parent coaching too, because I feel like, you know, when things like the programs we went through for parent coaching and even like when I went through Hannon and they're talking about different kind of parenting types, I was like, there wasn't one that was like sucked into your phone parenting type. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is one that we have to, you know, educate parents about and that I know me myself, I've been guilty of because there's so much pressure to be on and available all the time online and Mm -hmm. and even just like with jobs and everything it's kind of it's kind of this weird like expectation to always be on your phone but then also on the the side of to always yeah yeah that always being available is something that like is just this vicious cycle yeah yeah so it, it feels ironic um saying that's my biggest fear in a conversation about telepractice but (laughs) we agree we agree we agree yes yes everything in moderation yeah technology is wonderful but it's how you use it it's a tool and so that's really what it comes down to is knowing how to use it appropriately yeah um what do people misunderstand most about you Um, that's a good one. I don't know. I think that, um, I don't know if it's so true anymore, but I used to hear a lot from people how, like people always thought I was so serious. Um, I guess I just, I have a, a resting kind of serious face and I'm not super, animated and exuberant. So I think um, first impressions sometime are that I'm really reserved and serious, which is really not all that true. Pretty fun loving. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Um, Which superpower would you choose to have? We have this discussion a lot in my household because I've got some Big Marvel fans here. We're all big Marvel fans. Um, my husband's definitely flying. Um, flying would be cool, but I would like to be able to be invisible sometimes or teleport. Ooh. Like a fly on the wall kind of. Mm. <laughs> the combination of the two would be good too. Yeah, like you could yeah, teleport yeah. And be invisible, <laughs> then you really could be the fly on the wall. I don't necessarily want to read people's minds because that would be just too much. It's too much. Right. <laughs> I don't want to know all that. TMI. Um, but yeah, that'd be cool for sure. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite quote or saying that you like? I have several. Um, (laughs) We were just, well, I'm going to give you two. So we were just talking about this the other day because my husband was telling me that Tesla is going on tour. I don't know if you know who Tesla is, but it was one of the hair bands from back Mm -hmm. in the day when I was in high school. And I don't think I have heard anything about them since the mid 80s. So I was shocked when he was telling me that they were going on tour. So I was trying to remember which hair band it was that I took my quote for my senior yearbook from. (laughs) I haven't looked it up yet. It may have been Tesla, but I'm not positive. But my senior yearbook quote was a song lyric that was, it doesn't matter who gets the best of who and who can hurt who the most. Um, But it just kind of was fitting with my small town high school mentality. But another one that I was telling my son the other day, which probably is more one of my favorites, is Michael Fronte. He is um, a musician with Spearhead. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but 
he has a song that all the freaky people make the beauty of the world. Mm-hmm. And he uses that quote on a lot of his merch and stuff. So that's we were cool. all the same. What a miserable world it would be. Yeah, that's right. That's a freaky good that's is, a good message for teenagers too, because they're trying yeah. so hard to fit in. <laughs> Freak and freaky is not necessarily a negative thing. Yeah. All mm-hmm. the freaky people make the beauty of the world. That's right. Yeah, we could talk about, you know, all these, you know, universities are cutting out humanities and arts because they want to just do STEM, you know, which is important. And I want people to have those majors available to them. But we need the the rest of it as well um, yeah. to really be educated. And we yeah. need artists. We need poets. We need painters. We need dancers. I just think that that going back to the AI, like creativity, I feel like is the Mm -hmm. one thing that technology can't imitate. And so it should be the one thing that we're really teaching kids because they can go to the Internet for everything else to get all of the answers of the world. But if they aren't creative, then they can't they can't fake that. Right. Right. Yeah. Very true. Um, And we will lose all the beauty of the world. I know. Very true. (laughs) Um, which era of history would you most like to have lived in? Oh, um, there is something about the 1920s that fascinates me. Mm. Like the, the flapper girls. I was going to say, you can be a flapper. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> There's something about that era that fascinates me. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. It was an interesting time for sure. Yep. Um, what makes you laugh the most? Mm. Little kids. Very good. They're just full of surprises. They say the most off-the-wall things, and they're unpredictable and highly entertaining. (laughs) I had a student the other day that couldn't remember the word for garage, but talked about his driving his Lamborghini. And... (laughs) That was a surprising one. <laughs> you gotta park it somewhere. Right? So I was like, where are you gonna park your Lamborghini? You're gonna want a garage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you just they they're they're all yeah, you never know what they're gonna come out with, yep. and it's always yep. the best. <laughs> Very true. Um, do you have a hack that you've discovered that works well? So any kind of hack from house to job to productivity to whatever doesn't matter what it's helpful for yeah okay i probably have a gazillion of them um oh man (laughs) (laughs) my my mind is flip-flopping between work and home and Does it have to be one that I came up with myself? No. 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 <laughs> you may have stumped me. I know I've got them. <laughs> Uh-oh. Come back to that one. Okay. <laughs> well, next question is the last one. So, Okay. Okay. If... If heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You lived life to the fullest and took advantage of every moment. Very nice. That's very Very cool. You don't want him to say, I taught you and sent you all these hacks and you can't name one. (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. As soon as we get off of here, you're going to be like, oh, this one. No, no, it'll be 2 a.m. You'll wake up in the middle of the night. (laughs) You're going to log on to your email in the morning and you're going to have a list of 25 of them. We'll, we'll share how many <laughs> how many people get stumped by some of your questions do people get stumped like that yes yeah. yeah 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 I feel like I feel like you were very thoughtful about them, though. Yes, you were. So we have some people that just pop out with answers, but I feel like you were one of the more thoughtful ones with it, which we appreciate. Yeah. Well, the first hack that popped into my head, I didn't feel like I could use it because it's really not mine, but a friend of mine saw online somewhere this year for carving pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Instead of cutting out the cutting off the top and using that as the top to your pumpkin and trying to stick your hand in to light the candle mm-hmm. and all of that cut off the bottom of the pumpkin and then you put the candle on the base of it and put the carved pumpkin over it. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. So we have a pumpkin carving party in our neighborhood every year. And some people did that and it just, it seemed so much simpler and it was like, I think after, I know, I think the first time I saw that, Right. That was my reaction the first time I saw that. I was like, why did it take us this long to figure this out? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's not my hack. And I didn't even carve a pumpkin this year. I just watched other people do it. So I didn't feel like I could say that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, Sandra, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And uh, good luck to you and everything is happening there at UNC. And, and give our, our best because. We both, Kim and I both have connections there, obviously. Yep. So give everyone our best and uh, have the have wonderful holidays coming up. Thank you. You too. Maybe I'll see you in Boston. Yeah. Hopefully so. And the swarms of people. Yep. <laughs> well, that was Sandra Hancock from the Children's Cochlear Implant Center at UNC Chapel Hill. So, Sandra, thank you for joining us. And as everyone knows, my my interest area is in children with hearing loss and cochlear implants and listening and spoken language and hearing aids and all that stuff. So I'm I'm really thrilled that you're able to join us on this podcast and catch us up on everything you guys are doing there at UNC Chapel Hill. So good luck with everything and, and thanks again for joining us. And thank you for joining us on this episode. Please, if you don't mind, leave us that five-star review. That always helps us attract those new listeners, which is what we're really trying to do is to grow our audience. So help us do that by give us giving us that five-star review and also telling your colleagues and friends about the podcast. If they have an interest in telepractice or some of the other topics that we cover, please invite them to subscribe. That will help a great deal. And with that, we will be back again next week with a very special episode. We're going to do a wrap-up of our experience at this year's ASHA convention. So that should be exciting. So thanks again for listening. If you are hearing this right before Thanksgiving, if you celebrate, have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with your family. Until next time, be safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 